On this podcast, we've talked a lot about strategy and projections recently. However, it's information that you use to refine these that may give you the biggest edge. I've lined up beat writers from many teams that I plan to talk to in the coming weeks. Now, not until after I told my good friend, my good friend Graham at Shrimp Boat Captain on Twitter my plans, did he, did he make me aware that the athletic kind of already does this? And I honestly didn't know. Um, well, I'd already asked all the beat writers to join me, so I'm not turning back. The catch is these guys aren't writers from The Athletic. They're independent, so it's kind of cool like that. Um, you get a different perspective if you if you have been listening to that um, those podcasts. So, welcome to Writer's Block, a Draft Champions production. Today, I spoke to Nick Picoro of the Arizona Republic, who covers the Arizona Diamondbacks. I have five other interviews lined up, including Nick. Um... Well, not five others, so five including Nick. So if you have any questions um, regarding these teams that I'm going to be talking about this week, shoot me a DM. So I'm going to be talking to writers from the Red Sox, the Rangers, the Mariners, and the Phillies this week. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Nick. I want to give a warm welcome to uh, Nick Picoro. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, Nick's a beat writer for the D-backs and uh, generously, generously agreed to spend some time with me this afternoon talking about the D-backs this year. Uh, Nick, Nick, this is a fantasy podcast, mainly um, with a focus on high stakes fantasy, but one of the most important things is um, getting an edge in terms of getting information and um, staying on top of that information curve and logically analyzing it and getting as much as you can. So uh, I think you'd be perfect for this. Um, and I'm really glad that you've agreed to, to, um, start chatting with me. I know, I know we are limited in time, but that, that was the, um, that is the, um, the agenda of these, just to do a brief little chat with you guys. Before we get going, why don't you um, tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Sure. Yeah. I write for the Arizona Republic. Our website is azcentral.com and I'm uh, on Twitter at Nick Picoro and it's N-I-C-K-P-I-E-C-O-R-O. And thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on. I'm pumped. So let's start with uh, any news and notes other than uh, um, his Drupal signing. He just signed for about a million bucks and I think another option. So can you tell me anything that's going on there? What's you, you got, you, you got your ear to the ground there. What's, what's up? Yeah. I mean, it's been a really quiet off season for the Diamondbacks. So as Drupal Cabrera and uh, uh, Joaquin Soria are really the only uh, notable additions for this team, they're kind of rolling back the same roster as last year really hoping to get a lot better results. I, I don't expect them to do a team, you know, do a whole lot more. I mean, possibly, you know, adding some depth in the rotation or on the pitching staff in general. Um, but I don't think it'll be where they're spending serious dollars. It'll probably be guys that are uh, coming in on minor league deals. I see. I see. So right now there's no DH. Um, like um, the we'll get into the lineup and what your expectations are um, after. But if there was a DH, who do you who would you think would uh, fill that role? And do you think you think there's going to be one when it's all said? Well, done? I don't I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. Um, I guess I'm I guess I would guess no, uh, just because it's something that the sides would have to agree on. And at this point, it doesn't seem like they can agree on much of anything. Right. So I, I would bet on no. Uh, if there is one though, um, I don't know that there's any single player that jumps out to me as as the most logical guy to fill the role on a full-time basis like a Nelson Cruz or something like that I think it would probably be a sort of timeshare type of position where they try to play matchups and and uh, get days off for veterans um, 
I, I guess that if you wanted to say who makes the most sense in that role, it would be Seth Beer in, in terms of if there is a single player. But I'm not sure that that they would they would want to rush him to the big leagues quite yet. He's not on the 40-man roster. Um, and I, I do think just seeing the way that they used that role last year, um, I do think that they, they like the idea of kind of alternating guys in that spot in the lineup. Right. So that, that's, a, that's a nightmare for people like us that play uh, in fantasy sports because we want people that have consistent playing time. And in my notes here, I, I, had, a, I had a smooth, silky transition planned. Speaking of Pavin Smith, because that's who I thought you were going to say. That's who I thought you yeah, were going to say. Yeah, that was a name that came to mind. And I, I do think that he is a candidate. Um, but I mean, I, I really just think like, I, I think in some ways it could be better for fantasy owners because it, it, it assures that a Cattell Mars is going to be in the lineup 14 out of 14 days, right? Instead of having the day off now and then or Eduardo Escobar, or David Peralta, or whoever. So, I mean, for the, for the bulk of fantasy owners, that's not a bad, uh, you know, way for the Dimebacks to attack that position. But I, I understand what you're saying. For the individual player himself, there's no one guy that's going to, benefit most in that scenario no yeah so guys like that are relevant in the in, in what in the high stakes league that we play because we go i think 750 players deep so seth beer pavin smith are being drafted in these leagues um so my question is going to be speaking of pavin well pavin um i said i was going to ask you what are your expectations for seth beer which you've already talked about and josh rojas who uh when i'm drafting Marte, i'm, tr- I'm trying to sort of handcuff him with rojas because i'm looking at his track record in the minor leagues excellent plate discipline speed power guy He's, a, he's just a type of guy. If he pops, he could be really good. So um, in terms of prospects, what are your expectations for, um, I, I guess, who do you like the best of those three? And I guess maybe it's beer. Um, well, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know. Um, I think that it's something we're going to have to track as spring training goes along. I think that when you look at uh, Josh Rojas, um, you also have to consider a few other guys that are in a similar spot in their careers as him. Um, Josh Van Meter is one. Uh, Wyatt Matheson is another, mm-hmm. um, you know, Paven Smith is one of those guys. Uh, but I, I think that those are the primary ones that come to mind for me. Um, because I think that, uh, look, they just signed as Drupal Cabrera, right? It sounds like they like Cabrera as a versus left option. And I think that they like him more at third base. So maybe versus lefties Cabrera would start at third. You move Escobar over to second base right. uh, versus righties. I think that that opens up second base. And that likely means that someone like Josh Van Meter or Josh Rojas gets the playing time. It's also possible that Wyatt Matheson works his way into there as a, as another type, you know, similar type of option. Um, Probably more of a third baseman, probably more versus left. So it could, you know, it's maybe a little bit, he gets squeezed out a little bit maybe by the Azdrubal Cabrera signing. Um, But anyway, I mean, I, I I think that, I think that we're just gonna have to see in spring training, you know, whether one of those two guys, uh, primarily Rojas and Van Meter, kind of steps up and emerges as a as more of a, of a dependable versus right option for them. Right. And then a potential um, a potential candidate in case there's an injury or a trade or anything like that to, to slide in, perhaps. Yeah. But yeah. it sounds so, like what you're saying is it's going to be a lot of mixing and matching and, and a, I think not, so. such a, and not I, such a favorable uh, situation for a lot of these players other than like your Catal Marte and whoever else is starting consistently. In the yeah. I think you're going to have to look at it a little bit. I think they're trying to create something similar to what the Dodgers have going, right. Where, you know, Kike Hernandez and uh, Chris Taylor and um, Jock Peterson and, 
and those guys um, were all kind of Edwin Rios were all kind of rotating around in timeshares and and you know Dave Roberts is trying to find places to to maximize those guys in the lineup matchups that he likes the best. Um, not a ton of pressure on any individual guy because you know they kind of know their roles and they can kind of slide in and slide out and that sort of thing. I, I think that's what what the Diamondbacks are hoping to get. Um, you know they don't know that that they have the kind of personnel to do it yet. Um, but, you know, look, the Dodgers didn't know what, uh, you know, Max Muncie or Rios or, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's been a lot of guys for the Dodgers, Matt Beatty, like guys like that over the years that have kind of, you know, snuck in and you look up and they've got a couple hundred at bats and have been pretty productive and have helped them win. I think that's kind of the, the way the Dimebacks are, are sort of trying to assemble things. Right. Um, you know what? I just a side note. I was so high on uh, on Kevin Crone because he just the way, the way he hit the ball. I couldn't believe they just um, they let him go. But I'm just kind of upset about that because I had quite a bit of exposure to him. But um, I guess they didn't value him as much as as much as I did. Um, well, yeah, I think they also knew that they couldn't really promise him consistent at bats. Um, and you know, I, I think that he saw an opportunity to get paid. Ask them if he could if he could go, and they weren't going to stand in the way. Oh. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to make promises to guys in, in October, November, December, whenever it was that he was, you know, talking to and finally agreed to a deal, uh, to go over. Um, and, and again, like at that time, like we weren't sure how we weren't as confident that there was going to be, you know, a 2021 season on time, you know, if there was even going to be a minor league season, like there's just so many questions. I think you saw a lot more guys the hand. jumping to Asia. Yeah. For that, yeah. for that exact reason. Yeah. Now you mentioned Ketel Marte. Um, I wanted to talk about him a bit. And this is sort of a two-part question. He's like obviously the face of the franchise, and I think he's awesome. And he, he's a lot more. He, he looks a lot more jacked than his um, 165-pound back of the baseball card. Um, that, that will tell you. Um, so th that's one of the things I think he really got in good shape uh, over the last two years and he's really broken out. Now, the first part is my question is the D-backs like they have a great organizational structure, um, but. Um, do you think because of COVID and like money, like the team sort of been pushed to like dismantling the team and you don't have to answer that part um, because I'm thinking like, could there be a chance that Marte's traded, even though his contract's like amazing. Mm. And, um, and then do you, do you see him as more of a 2019 guy or more of a 2020 or both assuming he's healthy? Um, well, where to begin? Uh, I, I do think that you're right. That the, that the, the pandemic has forced these guys to, to get cheap. Um, you know, they, they say they lost a lot of money um, and that, you know, they're, it's just not realistic for them to operate at, you know, the payroll levels that they were at before. Um, so that does explain why they've, you know, at least that's the justification for why they've done some of the things that they've done this offseason and not really spent any money. Um, I don't know uh, as far as whether that could lead to him potentially getting traded. I think if things went really bad for these guys um, over the next few months, if they started off really, really bad, um, yeah, maybe I, I could I could possibly see that happening. I, I don't think that I would bet on it though. It, it seems like they are very hesitant to kind of tear all the way down. Uh, this ownership group has never been a fan of that idea. Uh, I don't think the general manager is a is a big proponent of of that way of operating. So, I mean, I, I would guess then that knowing that they would have Marte under contract still for a couple of years or a few years after this um, would, would, would be disincentivizing them to, it would be enough of a disincentive for them to, to make that sort of deal. Um, 
and then the kind of player he's going to be is a really hard one. Um, Basically, I don't he, know. Is he good or bad? <laughs> That's the question. Yeah, I mean, he's. I think he's good. I, I don't know that I, that he's a that he's a, an MVP candidate um, again, but I guess we'll have to see. He he has tremendous raw tools. He has tremendous power. It's still there. Um, you know, it was there at times last season. It just wasn't there very consistently. Uh, his plate discipline, his approach, kind of backed up on him. But I think too, if you look at him on a month by month splits basis over the past several years, that he would have months where he just wouldn't walk and where his, where his approach was super aggressive. Um, and then he would have months where it would just kind of show up all of a sudden. And he, he was an extremely patient hitter. Um, I don't know what to make of, of last year. Uh, you know, I think that he talked a lot at times about the length of the season and how it was kind of playing with him with his, with his mind. Um, you could tell that, that it was something that was affecting him. Um, you know, he didn't really, he didn't really come out and say that as an excuse. It was just sort of an aside a lot of the times when we were talking to him about, about the year. And I think that that's a thing that got into a lot of guys' heads that like, instead of having four or five months to, to kind of make up from a bad start, he knew that he was like coming up on the wire all of a sudden. And I, I think that forced him to kind of press a little bit and, and try to get to those numbers he wanted to get to quicker and you know how that is in baseball you can't really kind of force that stuff so I know I, I will make some excuses for him from that perspective but I also I don't know I mean he he really just had the the one year um I thought that the Diamondbacks were being a little aggressive you know making those big moves they made prior to last season you know Bumgarner, Starling Marte, Cole Calhoun kind of based on the fact that in, in large part that that Cattell was going to be a, a star for going forward I, and I don't, I don't know that I quite saw enough evidence long term to believe in that um, that doesn't mean that I don't think it could happen again I, I think he's got all kinds of ability um, I just would like to see it before I, I kind of am comfortable expecting it right I see him and, and I'm, I, what do I know? I'm, I'm just looking at the numbers. I see him as someone that's going to hit for a good average, but that power component of his game, I'm not sure of. And he has, he does have drastic splits. Like when, when you look at it from like, um, I guess a stat cast or like how hard he hits the ball. Like he's, he's a much, he hits the ball much harder from the right-hand side of the plate. So I'm wondering if some of those, I'd like to, I couldn't find anything conclusive, but um, I was looking to see if any of those splits had anything to do with it. And yeah, like I said, I couldn't find anything. Well, in 2019, it, it, they didn't, right? I mean, look at, look at his versus left versus right numbers. I mean, he was just as dominant from both sides of the plate. I don't know what happened last year. I, I wish I had a, a really good answer for you to give you a sense of, you know, to what to expect this year. But I, I think we're all just going to have to wait and see. Right. What I, what I was specifically referring to is if you look at his StatCast page and you look at his exit velocity, all like, almost all of his hard hits, like the hardest hits, like over 110 miles per hour were against left-handed pitching, almost like all of them. Um, him and Jose. Last year? Um, no, 19, well, both years actually. Oh, okay. Both years. So yeah, I think he had like 115 mile an hour hit, which is from the right-hand side of the plate uh, last year, which is his highest exit velocity, which wasn't a fly ball. It was more of a, a very low launch angle hit, but I don't know. It's, it's, I don't have the answer, but he, I'm just saying that he, he did hit the ball. He does hit the ball a lot harder from the right-hand side of the plate. So I don't know if that means anything, but um, the other guy that's like, um, that's, that's a big question in, in our circles is Dalton Varsho because um, just the catcher position being what it is, he could be so valuable if he steals even 15 bases. So questions are, will he catch, will he be operate away and will he hit? 
And um, my last question would be, um, if you can take an educated guess on how many plate appearances he'd get this year in total. Right. Well, that's a, another one that I, I would, I think I'll feel a lot better at, you know, being able to answer in um, late March than right now. Uh, I guess I probably could have mentioned him earlier when I was talking about Rojas and Van Meter, just because of the, the, the flexibility that Varsho has and the flexibility that Ketel Marte has. If Varsho were to say, come out in spring and hit 400 and, and look like a, a terrific, you know, a polished, you know, ready, the Bangers now type of player and the other guys were to struggle um and if they were also comfortable with him in center field which I, I think that they would be if, if he were to play there regularly I don't, I don't see why he couldn't handle the position he has all the kind of tools and instincts athleticism required um that they could put him in center field and they could move Cattell back to second base and and that would kind of take care of things um I don't know though. Uh, I, I think that I think that that would be an un. If you had to bet, like I think that would be a, a less like a least likely type of scenario versus the other guys making it. They're older, they're a little bit more advanced. Um, even Andy Young could be in the in the scenario in, in the in the situation. Um, an older, you know, 26, 27 year old infielder. Um, I think a lot would have to break right for Varsho to end up on the opening day roster. They seem pretty uh, committed to Car Carson Kelly behind the plate. Um, yeah. And I think that if there is in fact a, a regular minor league season, um, which I guess it sounds like it could get delayed a little bit this year, but, but if there is a real minor league season, I think that they want Dalton Varsho playing every day um, down there. If he's not in a role where he's going to, you know, start, I would guess like five times a week or so in the majors. Um, we're just gonna have to see how all this plays out. I wish I had more definitive answers. Yeah, that's what makes it so fun. They have a lot of interesting players that are gonna be kind of in the mix. Um, and look, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think anybody would like bet on any of these guys we've talked about like having huge years, you know, Rojas or, or Van Meter or Andy Young or Wyatt Mathis and Dalton Varsho, Kevin Smith. But they've all done enough in their minor league careers to make it seem it's like it's possible. Like, I wouldn't be that shocked if Joshua Meter had some kind of a season where he's got a 370 on base and has hit 10 home runs. And, I mean, I've only seen him play for a month or so at the big league level last year. I think the guy can play. I think, I think he can play a little. I, I think he has a good approach. He's a better infielder than I, I realized. Um, I think he's a nice little player, like, but I, I don't know. He also hasn't had a ton of success at the big league level yet. So I, I, I don't know. They have a lot of, a lot of capable guys. Um, and I don't know, man, typically in my experience, when you, when you kind of have a lot of guys that have the potential for that sort of thing, usually a couple of them will, will step up. I don't know which ones are going to, um, but I, I feel like a couple of them are going to end up emerging and, and being, useful players and, and I mean it like in, in the same way I was talking about those guys on the Dodgers before I'm not necessarily expecting a Max Muncy type of breakout but if somebody were to turn into a Kike or somebody were to turn into a you know like what Matt Beattie did a couple of years ago um right. yeah I mean I I just think so if I had to put you on the spot 400 plate appearances over under if you had to make an educated guess of Varsho for Varsha, yeah, yeah, yeah I would say under I would okay say under. I would cool. say it's probably closer to 250 or, or 200 but I, again, I, 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 
I, I mean, I, you know, I'm just like, I'm playing like those, you know, like the, um, the, 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 I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm just playing, playing percentages here. Like I, mm -hmm. I just feel like a lot would have to go right. Yeah. And there's a lot of information we don't know yet. So I know it's, it's, it's sort of an unfair question. And just, to, I know we're running, we're running close to time. So I wanted to make sure I get it to all these questions and just to clarify what we were talking about before. So your, your expectation is that Ketel Marte plays center field this year or gets at least gets enough games in to get that dual eligibility most likely. That's yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think that he'll bounce around. I even think there's a chance that uh, he'll, he'll find his way to shortstop uh, from time to time, which is going to only make him more valuable from a fantasy perspective. That's, that's tasty. So closer, um, I think um, just quickly, I think it's probably going to be Soria, right? And then I agree. Crichton and then Duplantier, uh, Buscakis could be whatever. They might find some sort of role, but not. Cold. Yeah, I would guess Ginkle and Yoan Lopez would be the guys that would be the next most likely. Ginkle, I forgot about two. him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's going to be Soria's job to lose, would be my guess going into camp. That same here. Um, okay, so. This is this may not be a Diamondback question, but I wanted to ask you this because it's something that I've been wondering. And um, Patrick Corbin, I know that you um, obviously have seen him because he used to be a Diamondback. And I'm sort of comping in my head, and this is just sort of like a gut feel to Mad Bum. Now, Mad Bum obviously is on the down uh, is on the downward slope of his career. Is Patrick Corbin done? Like you know, his velocity was down in those two months. Like, what do you, do you think uh, Corbin to Mad Bum's a, a valid comp, or do you think Corbin has some more? Um, has more in the tank. Um, gosh, that's a hard one because I, I haven't I didn't watch Patrick Corbin pitch at all last season. I, I don't think I'm in a position to to even guess. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I don't I don't know what to okay. tell you. I, I could I could give you some guesses on Bumgarner, but I I don't know about Corbin. What do you what's your guess on Mad Bum? Uh, I don't think he can possibly be as bad as he was last year. I think he's kind of bound to be better. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't know that I'm convinced that the, that the days of, of him being kind of a mid rotation guy, even are, are, are still there. I, I kind of feel like he's going to be, he's going to kind of graduate into that or descend, so to speak, into that, like kind of back of the rotation innings eating type, sort of the guy that CC Sabathia was late in his career for a while, right. where it's never a bad thing to have that kind of guy in your rotation. I'm just not sure that, that you're going to be banking on him to be, to be, uh, you know, leading the rotation. Okay. Um, last question before I want to get you to predict the, I want to get you to predict the starting lineups, um, uh, the starting lineup. So my last question is um, Corbin Martin. When do you think he's up? And um, do you think he's ahead of like guys like Clark and Young? Yes. I think he's probably the number six starter going into camp. So I think that if for, you know, for example, if Merrill Kelly isn't there uh, all the way back from his thoracic outlet surgery, if some other injury occurs or somebody pitches particularly poorly, I think that Corbin Martin is probably the next guy in line for a rotation spot. And he's enough removed from that TJ that he could be, um, he could throw some, I guess. Right away. Yeah. He'll be, he should be good to go right away. Right. Okay. So this is, this is, this is what I'm interested in from a fantasy perspective, because a lot of, a lot of this stuff is played appearance driven. Can you predict, can, can you um, tell me what you think the batting order will be on opening day and in July? Oh boy. Um, hold on. You've, you've kind of put me on the spot here. I'm going to, I'm going to bring up some lineups from last year to refresh my memory of the way that well, I can, I can well, in the meantime, I can tell you what uh, roster resource has and like, not that this means anything because they had um, Dalton Varsho in here as a starter um, before, but they have Calhoun leading off with Marte in center uh, batting second with Christian Walker batting third Peralta batting fourth 
Escobar fifth, Cabrera batting sixth, playing second, and um, Nick Ahmed batting seventh, and then Carson Kelly eighth. With yeah, um, I I wouldn't quibble too much with that. I, that that sounds that sounds believable. I I think that I wouldn't be surprised if if they're a little bit more flexible uh, in terms of the way things line up in addition to the players that are in there every day based on matchups. So I, I, that's just a guess, but I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if like, you know, Eduardo Escobar was hitting in the top few spots in the lineup. It seemed like basically all season long. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you, if you were to see him drop down from time to time or, or just, just see them be a little bit more flexible with that stuff going forward. Right. Okay, and you, you, do you see um, anyone, any one player, like a prospect, uh, supplant, supplanting any of those players by July? Do you see that lineup, or, um, or something? Something would have to happen for that to change. For something, to yeah, change probably. There? I mean, if if Carson Kelly struggles so badly that you know he, he didn't swing the bat very well last year, and if and if Dalton Varsha is doing great down in Reno, like that wouldn't shock me if they were to make that kind of change. Um. But I mean, I, I, I do think it's also worth keeping in mind that like this is a team that could struggle and, you know, veterans like Peralta and Calhoun uh, could find themselves on the trade block at any point. Um, so, I, I, I mean, that wouldn't shock me if, if those guys were to get dealt and if, uh, I don't know, uh, Nick Ahmed is another veteran, you know, and Geraldo Perdomo or Alec Thomas were to show themselves, you know, ready for the majors in the middle of the summer. Um, maybe that kind of thing could happen. Um, so, I mean, th those are all possibilities. Um, you know, that's certainly not the plan A for this group, though. I mean, they, they really hope that these veterans and they, they're really, really kind of running it back the same way that, that they did the, the first year that this front office was here. When the 2016 team was real bad, they brought back basically the same group in 17 and they performed. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're hoping for the same thing where 2020 was a disappointment, bring it back in 21 and, and just hope that it, it comes together this time. So if you were to pick a late guy to, to like, uh, to just put a, put a lottery ticket on that you can, that um, I guess fantasy players could just grab really late. Would it be like an Alec Thomas type guy, like a complete lottery lotto shot with the highest, with the highest upside? Um, like who's the best chance to get like, like get um, like near full-time playing time by midsummer? Yeah, that's a good is it, question. Is it Beer, um, is it Alec Thomas, Varsho? I guess we've talked a lot about him. I I think it would probably be Paven Smith, though. I I guess, um, because he's just ahead of those guys developmentally, and I I think that you know if if those jobs were to open up, and that's kind of the way it played out last year, right? I mean, Paven got up the last couple of weeks of the season and started getting those at bats. I would I would guess that that would be the the more likely outcome. Um, but like, it you know, it's possible that Alec Thomas just plays his way into that sort of scenario. I was kind of throwing that out there. But if I if I had to if I had to bet, I guess I would bet on Caden Smith being the kind of the next in line. Awesome. Well, um, that's all we got, and I think we we stuck to the time. I really appreciate you making the time for me today. You're the first beat writer I've spoken to, and I'm I'm trying to um, talk to as many teams as I can. But you were really gracious to accept the invitation, and I really appreciate um, you taking the time today. No problem, Zach. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, that's um, Nick Picoro and uh, at Nick Picoro on Twitter and that's ACCentral.com.
So thanks again. No problem. All right. I'll catch you later. All right. Bye.